And welcome back to Coaching with the Bible. This is episode 177, season 4, episode 17. Glad to be back with you this week. Our topic of the week is the Ten Commandments and Leadership. I want to start the presentation this week with the quote of the week instead of ending it. It's a quote from Margaret Thatcher. Because I think it really hits on what we're trying to do, which is try to make a connection, draw a link between great leadership principles and the Ten Commandments. Here's the quote, and then I'll explain why I think this is apropos this week. Leadership is about having principles. A leader must have a vision and principles that will endure for all time. Must always be true to these principles, applying them to changing circumstances from none other than Margaret Thatcher. I share this quote with you and I share this topic with you because it has something that's been on my mind for a long time. The idea of challenging myself and challenging us to plumb the depths of the Ten Commandments and to pluck from each one of the commandments a great leadership principle. Because the reality of the Ten Commandments is that they play a role on many levels. They are the all-time Ten Commandments. Every person who studies the Bible, who studies faith, knows the Ten Commandments, recognizes that symbol, that image of the two tablets. In my mind, is seared in the imagery of Charlton Heston playing Moses in the movie, God speaking out the Ten Commandments. They are bedrock principles not just of leadership, but really of everything. And so, as I heard this week in a different presentation, an idea that the Bible is a book of psychology, which I thought was super interesting, I think there's a lot to be said for approaching and understanding and thinking about really all the principles. This is what we've been doing, coaching the Bible, all the way through till this point, 177 weeks, is to really extract the nugget, the core element, the core value, the core principle that exists in a story, in a personality, and in a principle. And so I challenged myself this week to come up with a list. I had put out a list earlier in the week on LinkedIn, was a Ten Commandments list for nonprofit leaders. I've been toying with this idea for a while, actually. I was thinking about developing an online course, a leadership course for people to use the Bible uh, and the Ten Commandments specifically as a resource for appreciating and understanding how great leadership could be. And so in doing this presentation and preparing for it, I actually came up with like 30 principles inside the Ten Commandments, each one really having three. Some overlapped and some really built on the others, but a lot of really unique personalities, uh, personality principles that came out. So what I wanted to share with you this week and not get can't get all the way through it, but I'm happy to discuss it with you privately, is the what I'll call the core 10 principles of leadership that are embedded in the 10 commandments. So each commandment, we'll list them all out, has a leadership principle that is what I think a pillar leadership principle, without which I don't think you have a good list of principles as a leader. And amazingly, not surprisingly, but amazingly, pulled out from the Ten Commandments. Here we go, number one. So the first commandment, as we know, is that you shall have no other gods before me. So this happens in the portion this week. Moses is up on high on the mountain. The people are below. 
God uh, reveals uh, himself to the people on the mountain, and the revelation is this presentation of the Ten Commandments. And people split them up all kinds of ways. Obviously, on the Two Commandments, it's five and five. You have the what you'll call the active commandments. You'll have the non-active uh, commandments, things that you do and things that you shall not do or shalt not do, right? Um, the reality of it is that there are more of the do's and the not do's in the list. But the truth is, when one actually calculates among the 613 commandments that we live by in Judaism, um, there are actually more than 10 that are in there. And when we read through it, we can, we can really, really get to a lot of really key principles. So number one, you shall have no other gods before me. So the principle therein is actually about integrity and authenticity, sort of two in one. But here's the explanation. So we're going to do an explanation, a direct connection to the uh, Bible itself. I think a lot of them are, are obvious. Some of them are not, but I think a lot of them are. A plus minus of the value or the benefit of having this principle in your life as a leader. And then if we can, we'll get to a real world example in some of those situations. So the principle here is integrity or authenticity. And so the commandment is... Um, uh, basically having a, a, a fundamental belief in a foundational set of principles and, and wherein that's how a person acts, right? So here's the command. The commandment emphasizes the importance of loyalty and commitment. In leadership, integrity, and authenticity are essentials. Leaders must be true to their values and their principles, remaining steadfast in their commitment to their vision and their goals. So the obvious connection here is integrity builds trust and credibility, which is essential for leadership. Authentic leaders inspire others to follow them willingly, knowing they are genuine in their actions and their beliefs. So you can have no other gods uh, before me, sort of having no other things uh, around you. It's a fundamental belief in that itself, right? And so when you have uh, integrity and authenticity, you're able to then earn and build respect and loyalty from everybody around you. When you lack it, so then you really have nothing. And that's why it's really the fundamental principle and why it comes up first. And so a real-world example that maybe you think about from leaders who really represented that sort of sense of integrity and authenticity, you might go with Mandela. A lot of people would say that. Some might say Martin Luther King. Uh, you know, there are a lot of ways to go uh, with the real-world example. But by a person remaining committed to that set of principles, right, even during difficult times, that earned them that trust and admiration of people uh, during their lifetime and thereafter. Commandment number two. If I'm speaking fast, I apologize. I just know that I'm up against the clock and I can't spend a lot of time in each and every one of these. And I do want to see if I can get through all 10. So commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And so here is uh, the focus is on having visionary leadership. I know, again, it's surprising, but let's understand this. The commandment warns against placing anything above the ultimate purpose or vision, meaning false idols, anything that sort of is what you might call a distraction or uh, grabs your attention from uh, the visionary part of your leadership would be the false idol, right? So in leadership, visionary leaders inspire others by casting a compelling vision and guiding their team towards achieving it. The connection here is really important, is the visionary leadership focuses on a higher purpose, driving innovation and progress. If a leader embodies this principle, they ignite the passion and the enthusiasm among their followers, fostering an even stronger sense of purpose, and direction. So obviously, if you're a leader with visionary leadership, visionary leaders motivate their teams. When you have a lack of clear vision or you're uh, unable to really focus on the 
bigger, longer-term idea and you get distracted. That goes back a little bit to that distraction idea. You create confusion and a real lack of uh, direction. One of the things that inspires a lot of people today um, around, let's say, as an example, it might be controversial, I think, to some people. They'll take Elon Musk in the real world. He's a very, fairly visionary kind of leader, and he's way out there with what he's thinking about, how he's focused on things. But by doing that, he attracts a certain kind of person to work in his companies, to uh, to be in his employ, to try to do the things that he's trying to do because it's so deep and so far and so visionary and it doesn't allow for anything to really get in its way. Number three, uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, right? So um, using the, na- the, Lord, the name of the Lord in vain is that idea. The principle here is respect, but it's also respect, and it's not just respect, it's respect and communication. Let's explain. This commandment underscores the importance of respect and reverence in speech and communication. So using the Lord's name in vain um, is an inappropriate use of language, of our ability to speak, and thereby is a corruption and a violation of our ability to communicate. And so there's a respect for the ability to speak, one, and then there's also the actual method of communication that needs to be fluid and clear um, and uh, understandable for people around you. So when you're a leader, when you have respectful communication among your team, so respect for communication, respectful communication, good communication. So then, of course, the same thing we talked about in the first two, you foster trust, collaboration, and a positive work culture. So an effective leader who communicates clearly and respectfully creates an environment where ideas can flourish. It's really important to sort of think about this. There are some people who are out there who are leaders in their industry, in fact, they're leaders in government, who we might find abhorrent in the manner in which they speak, the manner in which they communicate, the words that they use, the words that they don't use, how they talk about or to other people. And by virtue of that, it creates resentment. It destroys and erodes trust. And for all that it might be, quote-unquote, successful, it definitely engenders and creates conflict and disengagement from people around the team. And so they talk about uh, Indra Nui, who was the uh, CEO of Pepsi, who was known for a certain style of inclusive and respectful communication among the team. And by virtue of that, it, 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 it bred a culture of openness and innovation within the company. Again, simply by being respectful and inclusive of the communicative process, and in the manner in which it was done, that gender engendered that kind of thing. So that's three. Number four, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. So we actually talked once about Sabbath, the idea of having Sabbath in your life. And that principle comes back here again. This is the concept of having balance, the ability to see balance in one's life. The idea of keeping the Sabbath day and keeping it holy is separating from the things that you do during the week, and the things that you do on that day. Having the ability to take breaks, having the ability to um, create space between the things that you're doing, have the ability to also create what I'll call sanctity uh, in those different parts of your life. I would say that even if you're a person not of faith and you're looking at this simply as a leadership principle, and maybe sanctity or holiness is not something that you sort of, uh, you know, endear yourself to or take heed of in the religious sense. But I think there's a way to create sort of a sense of holiness or sanctity around your everyday. And so here, 
This is an obvious one uh, for creating well-being, productivity, and overall satisfaction with your team. So it's not just for you, the leader, but this is for everyone else. When the leader prioritizes the balance for their team and they're showing care and concern for the overall well-being of everybody around, obviously, again, you're going to create and engender a high level of morale, engagement, and retention. There's no question, I even think about the, the minus, obviously, of, of having a culture where it's um, you know, where, where it's consistent and regular and increasement of stress uh, around it and no, no appreciation of people's personal space and time, which admittedly is an issue in our day with certain or circumstances, certain bosses, even certain clients who don't respect any sort of boundaries. It does not create the environment that you want and in fact drives away people who are looking to have success, a fruitful uh, employment and engagement uh, in, in return on their on their work, but also family, friends, faith, personal time, all those different things. So very good. Okay, number four, that's four. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Like you have to think about like, okay, how do I honor my honor my parents as a leadership principle? So here, I think we'll talk here about something called servant leadership. Let's understand what this means. The commandment of honoring your father and mother emphasizes respect for authority and gratitude for those who have paved the way. So it's, you could say it's about the parents. You could say it's really about anybody who has led in your field, in your line of work. In leadership, servant leaders prioritize the needs of others, empower their team, and lead by example. So the servant leader prioritizes the well-being and growth of their team members, again, creating that great culture of trust, collaboration, and mutual respect. They lead not by bossing people around. They lead by serving the needs and the success and the accomplishment of everybody else on the team. When you do that as a leader, so you're obviously respecting the relationships, but you're building stronger bonds uh, among the team and you're helping to drive people to actually reach a, a, a higher level of accomplishment in their potential and greater job satisfaction in higher performance. When the, when the team feels that the leader operates in that way, that the leader serves them on some level, then I think that there's something to that tremendously, which leads and really just engenders a real, a real style of, of success uh, and a drive towards uh, accomplishment and impact. Number six, you shall not murder. So now we've moved over to the second tablet. The sixth commandment is you shall not murder. So how does, like, I was actually thinking of just focusing on this one uh, this week and just thinking like, okay, um, what's the coaching with the Bible on murder? Um, but here we go. So I think the, the principle here has to do with emotional intelligence and conflict resolution. So how does that fit? You, I think if you're hearing me say that, you probably think that's a bit of a stretch. Let's try to draw uh, the relationship. The commandment, commandment number six uh, prohibits the taking of life and promotes peaceful coexistence. So that's the flip, right? So what does it mean that you shall not murder? It's not that you should just not kill somebody, but rather the flip is that you should focus on creating bonds and creating peace. In leadership, the emotionally intelligent and effective leader, right, who has a really good sense of conflict resolution skills, the ability to step in between people who are in conflict, 
creates the right work environment for everybody around. So think about this. A leader has high emotional intelligence. They can manage their own emotions. They can manage and help the expectations of everyone else on the team. They can cool uh, temperatures and conflict when they arise. They can help to promote collaboration and understanding. And instead of sort of cultivating a cutthroat environment, where cutthroat, pun intended, uh, which leads to people trying to take other people out, trying to take credit for their accomplishments, uh, unwilling to uh, coexist and work together and collaborate. So the ability to flip that over is great, is the opportunity for great success. And the great real example that they, they talk a lot about, which is interesting, is uh, Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft, um, is known for em emphasizing the importance of empathy, emotional intelligence, and leadership and his leadership style, which apparently creates and has created a culture of inclusivity and collaboration within the team at Microsoft. So that's number six. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. So this is an interesting one with respect to leadership, but I think it really um, is important. So like, what is that concept there uh, uh, with respect to adultery? So let's understand this. The commandment itself emphasizes fidelity and commitment in relationships. Again, you can focus on it that you shall not do X, which is the negative side, but you can also flip it over to appreciate the positive side, to give it a, a different uh, context. Um, there is a, a passage in the Talmud which uh, talks about the, the language of the blessings of, of Bilam later on in the Bible. And Bilam comes as the prophet to curse, or the magician to curse the people of Israel. And he says all these wonderful things, right, ultimately. Um, the Talmud goes about and says, you can flip it over and say, well, based on what he said that was good, you can infer the opposite as to what it was that he meant to say bad. And so you can really do that in some of the commandments. We just don't normally think about it in that way. So you shall not commit adultery is, well, why not? Because there's something to fidelity and commitment in relationships. And so when you're the leader who demonstrates trustworthiness, uh, uh, holds himself accountable, uh, is willing to foster the reliability and integrity and trust in the team, is willing to go out of their way to really push trust on the team. So that creates a supportive and transparent work environment where everyone feels val valued and respected and motivated, right? Again, so what you're seeing so far through seven of the principles is these core principles are not just about the leader, but it's about how the leader affects everything that's going on in the team and how the manner in which that person leads drives the relationships drives the work product, drives the success of the entirety of the group based on the principles that are employed by the leader. So that's seven. Eight, you shall not steal. So if you had to think about an obvious one in the list of the Ten Commandments, from the standpoint of being a good leader, stealing is probably an easy one to sort of think about. But I think what, again, you can think about the not stealing part, but you can flip it over and think about it in the context of fairness uh, and integrity, integrity to the process, but also integrity to everybody's role and their accomplishments. So the commandment prohibits theft and emphasizes honesty and fairness. In a leader, being a leader who is who, uh, who 
looking to uphold fairness and integrity in their dealings with everybody else, whether that's customers, whether that's coworkers, whether that's partners, whether that's colleagues, whether that's vendors, whether that's the public, whether that's the community, whatever it is, they, they, they foster a really strong sense of equity, justice, promoting positivity, inclusivity, again, in that work environment, again, where everyone feels valued and respected because there's no concern that the person is going to take credit for things that they didn't do. They're going to give the right credit because that's just fair. That's how you show a level of trust and integrity, but also a sense of appreciation for everybody uh, on the team. So like this is, these are really, really simple uh, ideas. The example that they bring is some by, from someone that, that I saw was uh, Anne Mulcahy was the former CEO of Xerox. And so it said about her that uh, she demonstrated fairness and integrity by leading the company through challenging turnaround without resorting to unethical practices. She prioritized transparency and accountability, earning the trust and respect of employees and stakeholders alike. Right. So I mentioned one earlier in the week in my other list of um, 10, 10 principles for nonprofit leaders there. There's examples about companies that owned situations uh, when they had messed up and they stepped into the integrity and in the fairness of those situations. I think it's also really true about really giving people um, the respect and the due that they deserve for the work that they have done. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So again, flip it over. It's not just about not bearing false witness or lying, but it's also about transparency and honesty. The commandment prohibits lying and deceit and emphasizes the importance of both truthfulness and honesty. In leadership, transparency and honesty are vital for building trust, again, fostering the right sense of communication, maintaining credibility. So a leader who prioritizes transparency and honesty, again, is creating really a great level of uh, accountability and trust and sharing and decisiveness and decision-making uh, among the team. Again, flip it over. If you've ever had a situation when you worked with a boss who wasn't transparent, who wasn't honest, it's, it's really hard to do that. Like you're questioning every decision that they make. You're, you're, you're uncomfortable in that environment. You're stuck maybe uh, to some degree. You have no out. There's no way to go. And so when you lack that transparency and you lack that honesty, so then you're creating secrecy, you're creating cynicism, you're creating suspicion, you're creating a, a, a sort of a, a cast of undermining employees, and you're certainly going to hurt the work ethic or the work product you're trying to produce. The last one here, we got to 10 actually faster than I thought we would. Uh, number 10 is you shall not covet your wife's house, your neighbor's house, sorry. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his servant or his female servant and so on. So this is the idea of not coveting or uh, the prohibition against some for forms of jealousy. And so again, you can look at it from that standpoint on one side, but you can also flip it over again. And the greater, the greater way to look at these positives, uh, these principles is really from the positive standpoint. And the principle here would be contentment and gratitude. You knew this was going to come up. This is going to be in here. And the example I'm going to bring is from uh, Tim Cook at Apple. Um, and here's the explanation. The commandment itself warns against jealousy and envy and encourages, therefore, contentment and gratitude for what one has. When you're the leader, 
you need and it's important and it's vital to foster a culture of contentment and gratitude, which promotes a level of appreciation and well-being among team, uh, teammates. When people are, uh, you know, ingrates and they're, you know, not content with what they have and what they're getting, then you know what happens uh, around the team when you breed envy and covetousness. It, I mean, it's dark and dirty and 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 difficult and painful and it's a choking sort of experience because it breeds resentment and a toxic environment around you that simply doesn't work. So a leader who cultivates that contentment and gratitude and instills that sense of appreciation for the accomplishments and the contributions of effort of, of others fosters that positive environment, which then breeds it back. And so as we know, when you give gratitude, you get gratitude, right? I think that's the term I used when uh, was from, a, from, one of my, from one of my teachers, when you appreciate the good, the good appreciates. And so having gratitude for the things that are good in the company, for the wins in the company, for the people in the company, for the success of the company, and for the wins of everyone else, simply just breeds itself back and breeds further life into the gratitude that uh, applies to the company. And so it said about Tim Cook, who's the CEO of Apple, who's a very different style of uh, leadership and management at Apple than, say, Steve Jobs had. He promotes this culture of gratitude and appreciation within the company. He regularly expresses thanks to employees for their contributions, and he very much regularly celebrates their achievements. We know what Apple is and how successful Apple is. This fosters a really strong sense of belonging and pride among team members contributing to Apple's success. And so what you get then from the Ten Commandments are the most crucial, vital, fundamental leadership principles that you could have. I guarantee you, if you try to look at the Ten Commandments uh, for a list of the top 10 ideas for building teams, you would find it. Uh, the top 10 ideas as to how to fundraise, you would find it, right? And here and this week, I think you're looking at it from the standpoint of how to be a better leader. Now, again, if you're a faith-based person and you can root your leadership style in your faith in the Bible, so amazing, then you have a real sense of congruence in your life and harmony in the way you operate in all different spheres of your life. If you're looking at it simply as going to go to textbook or a book to learn lessons from, a leadership list, then you have these core principles. And the principles that we talked about here are the most fundable, fundamental fundamental among the leadership principles, gratitude and contentment, transparency and honesty, fairness and integrity, trust and accountability, emotional intelligence, conflict resolution, servant leadership, I mean, work-life balance, like the, the things that you need, visionary leadership, and of course, as we said at the top, integrity and authenticity, all the things you need to be a great leader. So it's all baked in to the Ten Commandments, and it all helps us learn how to be better leaders, and by extension, not just better leaders, better people as well. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. Look forward to seeing you next week.